0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. The New York-based Committee to Protect Journalists names Bangladesh as one of the worst violators of media freedom in the world. Its 2009 report states that Bangladesh is one of the top 14 countries where journalists are murdered on a recurring basis and governments are unable or unwilling to prosecute the killers. This is Leslie Powell, Director of Outreach for the Yale World Fellows Program, talking with... Zafar Saban, a 2009 Yale World Fellow. Zafar has been the op ed editor and a columnist for Bangladesh's English language newspaper of record, The Daily Star, for the past six years. He is also editor of Forum magazine, which has been described as Bangladesh's first think magazine, providing serious commentary and analysis of the country's most pressing issues. Welcome, Zafar.
1: Uh, good afternoon, Leslie.
0: How would you describe the state of press freedom in Bangladesh?
1: Well, given the statistic you just quoted from the Committee to Protect Journalists, I think I should uh, make one point. It's true. It is dangerous uh, to be a journalist in Bangladesh. And over the last five or six years, I have been working as a journalist. There have been some Uh, difficult moments. I think specifically the last two years where we had a military-backed caretaker government in power, you saw or we saw that there was a lot of restrictions on press freedom. I worked very closely with a colleague of mine who was in fact picked up by the army in the middle of the night um, back in 2008, no, in 2007. And, you know, really uh, you know, beaten badly and mistreated while he was in custody, and it was very hard for us uh, to get him out and to get him to safety. We have, however, had elections uh, on December 29th of 2008, and so now we're about 12 months into a democratically elected government, and the hope is that under a democratic regime, the press is going to be more free than it was under a military-backed regime. And so far, I think that's what we've seen. Certainly, dangers still exist, but I think things are a lot better than they used to be.
0: How does it affect your work? Do you have to self-censor?
1: Absolutely. I mean, it's kind of the... Uh Sort of the untold story of journalism in Bangladesh, but we constantly self censor ourselves. And, you know, as I said, things are not nearly as uh, restricted as they were when the military was running the show. But even under democratic uh, uh, dispensations, they are everyone, you know, there are limits to what we'll print. For instance, the last democratic government, uh, which uh, stepped down in 2007, the son of the prime minister was involved in a lot of notoriety but we never would run any stories about him uh, simply because it was just really too uh, dangerous um uh, it made us too vulnerable. Similarly, even un, even though the current government is, I think, far more open than either the, the previous military government or the democratic governments which we've had before, I still think there are places we wouldn't go. We would be very cautious about, uh, you know, uh, printing certain things which we think would bring the, the newspaper into, uh, you know, into direct conflict Uh, with the government. So that's something we do have to worry about. You've seen improvement
0: over the last 12 months since the election?
1: Uh, Well, I've spent uh, the last four and a half months here at Yale. Nevertheless, I think so. I mean, there's no question that for the first half of the year 2009, things were a lot better than they had been the two years before.
0: You've said that your media position, influential media position, is inherently and intensely political. How do you reconcile those two different spheres of influence? Do they conflict?
1: I don't think they conflict. I think the the way you reconcile them is full disclosure. I think as long as you are very open, uh, any newspaper is very open about what its political positions are, what its uh, um, ideology, its supports is, and where it stands on the issues, then it is not... Um, uh, there's no real conflict of interest. There's real no problem with the newspaper playing a political role because I think newspapers and all media outlets, like it or not, admit it or not, do play a political role. I think the problem arises is when you are masquerade as being a uh, completely part, uh, nonpartisan and completely. Uh, objective when you're actually pushing a certain agenda. So I think with the newspaper I work for, for instance, I think we do strive to be as objective as possible. Nevertheless, obviously there are certain positions we hold, a certain place we come from. As long as we are uh, open, with our readers about that and make no bones about where we stand i think they then trust us to impartially report the news but at the same time understand that we also have an ideological position which is where we're coming from
0: does the ideological position of the paper manifest itself only on the editorial pages or in the news coverage itself
1: it I mean, here's the thing, the, when you talk about people in journalism, they will say, of course, well, you know, ideology is the province of the editorial pages, and then the news should be uh, non-biased and, and, and completely objective. But the truth of the matter is, even in the news section, your ideology is going to come into play because, you know, what you choose to well, focus on is news. That's a decision. Uh, that's a subjective decision. How you play a certain story, that's a subjective decision. Nevertheless, I don't think, I mean, I just think that's a truism. I think that's a reality. I don't necessarily think that that means we can't do a good job reporting the news as objectively as we possibly can. And I think all newspapers do this to a certain extent.
0: Now, you've dipped your toes into politics before. Mm -hmm. You served briefly as an advisor to Dr. Muhammad Yunus when he... That's right. Uh, formed a short-lived political party. Do you envision becoming politically active again, directly politically active?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I I remain indirectly politically active. I have advised any number of politicians um, on an informal basis. And, in fact, I'm happy to advise anyone from any, uh, any political party if I think that they are working for the betterment of the country and I think that, you know, uh, you know, uh, they have, uh, they're doing this uh, because, you know, they're looking, l- looking out for Bangladesh. So I'm happy to help. I've worked closely with Dr. Yunus. We were very disappointed when he finally decided not to uh, enter politics, though I, I'm he had, I'm sure, good reasons. I understand his reservations. Nevertheless, those of us who are working with him and others who were supporting his candidacy were disappointed. I certainly don't rule it out in the future. I mean, in terms of Not just don't rule it out. I think it would be quite likely that in the future I would play a more active direct role in politics. The only hesitation is that if you play too direct a role in politics, then that might compromise your position, one's position, as an impartial commentator or or, or journalist or observer or analyst of the scene, which I wouldn't want to do as long as I can really... um, keep those two hats on more or less at the same time, I think there's no question that I plan to be more directly involved in politics in the future. Mm -hmm.
0: Let's talk about the print media. Sure. The decline of the print media is much discussed in this country. Uh, you don't see the same trend in Bangladesh or in Asia in general, do you?
1: No, not at all, because you have to understand the uh, the large part of what is driving the decline in print media circulation is people actually read newspapers online. They read them over the Internet. Now, in, in most Asian countries, certainly the ones which are still at the lower end of the development curve, we don't have that level of Internet penetration. So basically no one in Bangladesh, I mean it's a vanishingly small number of people, read the newspaper online. So that's really not something we have to worry about. The problem, of course, in the West is that everyone is now reading the newspaper online, except on it's very hard to monetize uh, uh, to monetize that, I believe I've got a friend of mine, he's the managing editor of the Washington Post. He says uh, each print subscriber brings him $500 of revenue a year, each online subscriber brings him $15 of hmm. revenue a year. That's the problem they're facing. We don't face that problem in Bangladesh. And I think, you know. Most countries, certainly all countries in South Asia don't face that problem. And I would suspect even in Southeast Asia, there may be other problems or other restraints on, on on journalism, but that probably is not one of them.
0: Is it just a matter of time then, once modernization continues and people get computers, what happens?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think eventually, obviously the... Uh, the same problems which uh, people are facing here in the West, we are going to be facing because, you know, uh, we're probably, you know, 15, 20 years behind the curve. But of course, ideally, I would like to live in a in a country where Internet penetration has reached all corners of the nation. And... You know, If that's our developmental goal, obviously that's going to have a negative uh, repercussion on the um, print newspaper industry. So I think, But I think that'll give us plenty of time to solve the problem. We can see what happens in other countries. And remember, the problem is not that people are not going to be reading newspapers. People still read newspapers. The problem is they just read them in a different form. And all we have to figure out is how to make that form profitable for us, which I think is doable.
0: Switching gears, Sure. before accepting your position with the Daily Star, you were a lawyer and a school teacher here in the States, in New York. That's right. Tell me why you gave those things up to do what you're doing now.
1: Okay, well, you know, um, I loved being a school teacher. I've taught uh, high school in the Bronx and also Newark, New Jersey, and I've also taught high school in Bangladesh as well. And I actually like being a lawyer as well. However, there's no question in my mind that my passion was politics in journalism? Uh, you know, when I was working as a lawyer in New York City, I would still spend hours a day, you know, reading newspapers, reading blogs, writing letters to the editor, uh, writing op-ed columns. So it finally it occurred to me one day: I was like, you know, something. Maybe you ought to do this for a living. And you know, I think ultimately you have to go with your passion in life. There are many things we can do. Probably any of us, uh, you know, have a number of things we can do, but you should. You'll probably be happiest, and you'll certainly, I think, be the most successful if you end up doing for a living that which you're most passionate about.
0: My final question is about the World Fellows Program. You've spent the last four months here on the Yale campus as both a student and a kind of mentor to students. Is there anything in particular that you will take away from this experience that will serve you well, do you think?
1: Sure. I mean... The World Fellows Program has been an astonishing and unique opportunity and experience for me. But more than that, I think what I'm going to take away are the relationships which I have developed here. First, the relationship with my my fellow cohort of uh, there's sixteen other World Fellows here, um, together with me. Also, I have now I'm now part of the greater World Fellow network. Uh, we met I met a, a number of them in the Return to Yale Forum, which happened last month. Beyond that. I now feel, though, that I'm also a member of the Yale community. We are encouraged to think of ourselves as sort of full you know, Yale alumnuses. And I think that's exactly what I plan to do. And I think now anything I would like to do... Uh, knowing that I have, you know, I can, you know, send an email or make a phone call and that, you know, I can hope that Yale, if they're, you know, may support that kind of endeavor and I would maybe have a partner for whatever types of programs and projects I want to do when I get back to Bangladesh and to try and keep that connection going. That is something which I think is very useful. And, And last but not least, I've made all sorts of small connections with individual students here, Uh, you know, young undergrads who might be interested in working in Bangladesh, uh, undergrads who are interested in the media. I even met uh, some graduate students, a married couple there. I think one's a biologist and one's a chemist, and they're from Mexico. But they are interested when they finish their master's degree to go to Bangladesh next. And This program has really sort of allowed me uh, to meet with these kinds of people. It's allowed me to interact with these kinds of people. And I hope that the relationships which have been forged over the last four and a half months will be something that uh, I will be able to keep with me. And I will be able to help people who have an interest in Bangladesh, you know, in, in some connection to Yale University. I'll be able to make that connection for them.
0: I hope so, too. Thank you so much, Zafar. It's been a a real pleasure speaking with you today. Okay,
1: well, thank you very much, Leslie.